Hey guys, and welcome to the Moms and Murder podcast, a true crime podcast featuring myself, Mandy, and my dear friend, Melissa. Hi, Melissa. Hi, Mandy. How are you? I'm doing okay. Yeah? Did you enjoy the week off? Get a lot of things done? I did. Yeah, so many things done. I'm so ahead right now. I don't even believe you for a minute, and I'm pretty sure after two years, no one else believes you either. (laughs) No, I did not get very much done. I actually took a week off, and it was really nice and needed, I guess. So that's where we're at right now. But I'm on schedule. I'm not ahead, but I'm on schedule. There you go. That's really all I can ask for at this point. So yeah. yeah. (laughs) So we're going to jump right into this week's story. Um, It comes to us out of Sacramento, California. Sacramento is a city of a half a million people located about an hour and a half northeast of San Francisco. Once a gold rush town, it is now known for local coffee roasters, craft beer, and as the farm to fork capital of the United States. The Sacramento Kings are the beloved local NBA team playing in a brand new arena downtown that's just a quick walk from Old Sacramento. Visitors to Old Sac, as it is commonly known as, can check out the California State Railroad Museum and an original schoolhouse, among the other historic buildings there. The movie Lady Bird from 2017 was based and filmed in Sacramento, written by a local native named Greta Gerwig. Sacramento is a fast-paced city with a booming arts and restaurant scene that still maintains a small-town feel, but the city also has a darker side. Homelessness and drugs plague certain areas, and several killers have actually called Sacramento and the surrounding area home. The Golden State Killer was famously caught in the suburb of Citrus Heights after 40 years just last year, and another infamous serial killer who operated in Sacramento was a tiny little old lady named Dorothea Puente, and that's who we're talking about this week. But before we get into the story, Melissa is going to tell us a little more about Sacramento in this week's segment of We Googled This City. Sacramento is the capital of California, but it was actually not the first capital. There were several other capitals, and I wanted to say them all, but turns out the only one I could pronounce really was Sacramento. Sacramento has a population of around 501,000 as of the 2017 census. You may think of Sacramento as a gold rush town, but it quickly became a farming town. So much so that just a few years ago, the town changed its slogan from the city of trees to from farm to fork which left one morning radio DJ in the area named Brandon Shimabukuro saying, this is a quote, I start all my shows by saying, Tree City, what's poppin'? What am I going to say now? Forktown, what's for dinner? (laughs) (laughs) I love that. And now I beg you, before you want to just change your town slogan, consider your local radio DJs. Think of the poor morning DJs. What would happen if Orlando went from the city beautiful, which by the way, is a total stretch, to most of us don't actually live near Disney, so stop asking to stay at our houses to save money on hotels. (laughs) Morning DJs in our area would be in trouble. You can't hype people up on that. And this one's actually true. What's a morning DJ to do in Bellingham, Washington to hype up their morning commuters when their city's slogan is Bellingham, Washington, city of subdued excitement? <laughs> Isn't that I just figure like uh, Bellingham, hip hip her, nah, for that one. <laughs> and what if Google the city was a town? Would its slogan be, they aren't all winners? Mandy, let's get into it. Go ahead there. <laughs> there you go. Dorothea Puente was just a very short woman standing at only five foot two, but there was really a lot of horror and greed in such a small little package. 
She was born Dorothea Helen Gray in Redlands, California on January 9th, 1929. Redlands is a small town about an hour east of Los Angeles known for railroads and citrus in the first half of the 20th century. Puente's family was very poor and really dysfunctional. She was one of at least seven children, although later in her life she claimed to be the youngest of 18 kids, but the best anyone can tell, she was probably the sixth of seven children. Wow. Her father died of tuberculosis when Puente was about eight years old, and the next year her mom, who was an abusive alcoholic, lost custody of all the children and then subsequently died in a motorcycle accident. Puente and her siblings were split up among foster families and relatives. She spent her next years moving around California, mostly between Napa and Los Angeles, until moving to Washington State as a teenager and becoming a sex worker. She also worked in an ice cream parlor where she met her first husband when he returned from the South Pacific after World War II. She married Fred McFall in 1945 when she was just 16 years old. Puente started using the first of what would be several aliases. Her name is given as Sherielle A. Rasil on her marriage certificate. So by this point, she was really already a practiced liar. She claimed at various points to be good friends with Rita Hayworth and related to an ambassador to Sweden. She even claimed to have survived the Bataan Death March, which took place in Japan when she was only 13 and living in the state of California. Puente and her first husband moved to Nevada and had two daughters in quick succession, both of whom were given up when they were very young. McFall's mother raised one of the girls, and the other was given up for adoption. Puente and McFall split up after a couple of years, and Puente moved back to Los Angeles alone. She liked to wear expensive clothing, and she really had a particular taste for silk stockings and these different dresses that really were beyond her means, so she found other ways to finance those purchases. After she moved to L.A., she went to prison, actually, for stealing checks to buy these clothes and accessories. According to an interview that ran in Sacktown magazine, Puente also claimed to have given birth to twin daughters who died by suicide within a week of each other, but there's actually no documentation to back this up. She did become pregnant after leaving prison and gave this child up for adoption as well. In 1952, she married Axel Johansson and moved to the Sacramento area. Johansson was a sailor, and he spent long stretches of time out of town. Sometimes he came home to find his wife living with another man. Run-ins with the law, prostitution charges, and gambling problems on Puente's part led to their divorce in 1966, but the marriage surprisingly lasted 14 years. In 1960, Puente was arrested at a house of prostitution in Sacramento. She claimed she was actually just visiting a friend and did not realize she was in a brothel. The cops and courts, of course, did not buy her story, and she spent more time in jail. When she got out, she started working as a home health care aide and opened her first illegal boarding house. She married Roberto Puente in 1968, but it was yet another tumultuous relationship, and the marriage ended after just a year. And we're going to get back into the story after taking a quick break to hear a word from this week's sponsors. Are there wedding bells in your future? Avoid ending up on Moms and Murder by using Zola, the easiest way to plan your wedding and keep your sanity. Zola takes the stress out of wedding planning with free wedding websites, your dream wedding registry, affordable save-the-dates and invitations, and easy-to-use planning tools. 
Zola, where were you when I was getting married? Before my wedding, I spent hours in the store scanning items haphazardly, a bit fearful that I had probably registered for the same item in another store. Zola can help remove that anxiety. With over 500 top brands, from OXO and Cuisinart to Sonos and Airbnb, you'll be sure to wow your mother-in-law with your baking skills or your ability to match kitchen appliances. One thing I really love about Zola is that not only is it beautifully designed, it's also a breeze to use. You can get started with a free wedding website. It's so easy and it takes just minutes to set it up. But that's not all Zola can do. Add photos, stories about how you two met, travel and accommodations info, and even recommend things to do for your guests while they're in town for your wedding. So Aunt Lydia wants to get in some sightseeing before the wedding. Send her off to the Spam Museum. Yes, that is a real place that's dedicated to spam. And all the info can be found at one place, Zola. One of the coolest features on Zola is that you can also create a funds for your honeymoon, future home, new puppy, anything you really want. Register for gift cards to your favorite brands like Delta, Southwest, Hulu, Home Depot, and more. To start your free wedding website and also get $50 off your registry on Zola, go to Zola.com moms. Again, to start your free wedding website and also get $50 off your registry on Zola, go to Zola.com moms. A few weeks ago, I accidentally became a volleyball coach for my daughter's volleyball team. How did that happen, you may ask? I really wish I knew, but what I do know is that in between daily practices, games, and driving all over God's green earth, I haven't had time to go into the grocery store. I also smell like day-old garbage after practice and would rather not embarrass myself at my local grocery store. Thanks to Instacart, I can order groceries before we even leave for practice and have them delivered when we arrive home. And my Instacart shopper is always so polite, and they never tell me that I smell like a dead rat when they arrive. If you're not familiar with Instacart, here's what I did. I downloaded the Instacart app, picked out my grocery store from a list available to me in my area, and put in a quick order to be shopped for and delivered to my house by a friendly Instacart shopper. With Instacart, you can choose from local and national grocery stores in your area. The Instacart shopper gathers your groceries with care by selecting excellent produce, and if there are any issues with the order, they will contact you when necessary in the Instacart app, making it even easier. Instacart will deliver your groceries in as little as one hour or at a time you select. They bag them so that your hot items stay hot and your cold items stay cold. Keep your sanity and your family from going full hunger games when there are no groceries in the house and check out Instacart. You can try Instacart and get $10 off and free delivery on your first order. To get this limited time offer, download the mobile app or go to instacart.com and enter our promo code MOMS10 at checkout. That's $10 off and free delivery on your first order today in the mobile app or at instacart.com and don't forget to enter our code MOMS10. And now back to the episode. So before we took the break, we were talking about how Dorothea Puente had gotten married again, and it was another relationship that ended after a year. That actually was not her last marriage. She ended up getting married a fourth time to a man named Pedro Montalvo, and that marriage was also very quick. It began and ended in 1976 when she was actually operating another boarding house. During the 1970s, Puente opened a boarding house at 21st and F Streets in Sacramento's Boulevard Park neighborhood. The house was a beautiful Victorian with a lot of space. Her willingness to accept less desirable tenants, such as alcoholics, endeared her to social workers, and she maintained a good reputation until she was caught signing the benefit checks of her tenants over to herself. Puente got five years of probation for this crime in 1978. In the early 1980s, Puente befriended a woman named Ruth Monroe. Ruth and Puente were in business together, running a lunchroom. 
Monroe eventually moved in with Puente to save money when her husband was dying in a nearby VA hospital and quickly fell ill once she herself was under Puente's roof. She actually died shortly after moving in, and her death was ruled a suicide, but Monroe's son suspected that Puente had actually poisoned her. Their suspicions were actually confirmed when they found that Puente had drained their mother's bank account. But despite this, Puente still was not charged with Monroe's murder until many years later when more secrets of this woman had started coming out. Banned from running a boarding house and handling government-issued checks as part of her probation, Puente again became a home health care worker. She defrauded and robbed several more elderly people before getting caught and going to prison in 1982. One man actually remembered her drugging him at a bar and then robbing him when they returned to his apartment as he watched paralyzed from the sedatives that she had slipped into his drink. She even stole a ring right off of his finger. Oh my gosh. She was released from prison in Corona in 1985 and promptly moved back to Sacramento and opened yet another boarding house on the sly. Of course, she's not allowed, she's really not supposed to be doing this at all, given her history. So this one was actually blocks away from the first one at 14th and H Streets in the Mansion Flats neighborhood. Everson Gilmouth, or Gill, was a pen pal of Puente's while she was in prison and picked her up in a red 1980 pickup truck when she was released in 1985. He had told his sister that he had plans to marry Puente. They moved together to the house at 1426 H Street, but he did not live there for very long. Puente repaid his kindness by murdering him and stealing his government checks while sending letters to his family pretending that he was still alive. So she actually wrote letters to his family, but she also was writing letters to uh, like official agencies and stuff. So I'm going to read a letter that she actually wrote to the Social Security Administration. It was written by her in her handwriting, and she is pretending to be this man, Gil. So the letter reads, this is dated April 19th, 1986. Dear Sir, on March 13th, I received a letter dated March 10th from you stating you will mail my check to me here at the house. I have not received it and have closed my account at the Bank of America at 8th and I Streets. My account number at the bank was, of course, she listed her account number, but the checks should be coming here at the house, 1426 F Street. My social security number is blah, 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 blah. I need my check and would appreciate it if you'd send it to me. Signed, Everson Gilmouth. Obviously, after she has murdered him, she is still trying to collect on his social security checks. And she's trying to write letters as if she is him so that they will continue sending the checks to her address. Right. When she returned to Sacramento after prison, she had a handyman build a box about six feet long and three feet wide, allegedly to store books. Once the box was full and nailed shut, she had the handyman actually help her load it into a red pickup truck she'd given him. She claimed that this gift she was given the handyman, this red pickup truck, was her boyfriend's, but he no longer needed it. Puente said the handyman was supposed to take the box to a storage place, but then she instructed him to just dump the box by the Sacramento River instead. So That is not suspicious at all. Right? Here are all these books I love so much. You're going to build me this box and do all this, and at the end of the day, you're just like, eh, just drop it up wherever. I don't care. Whatever happens, just get it out of my house. So Gil's makeshift coffin was eventually discovered by the river by a fisherman. His remains then stayed in the city morgue for years before they were finally identified when Puentes' other crimes came to light. Puente had been taking in elderly boarders with issues like alcoholism and addiction who really didn't have close ties to family and friends. 
She didn't want to take in people who would really have anyone checking up on them or asking about them. And she'd take over their finances or even open joint bank accounts with them, pretending to manage their money while actually cashing their social security checks. I think in, yeah, in Daytona just this week, the serial killer that was, that had struck several years ago that had been going after sex workers, right? I saw this. I did. I saw this too. But that happens a decent amount where these serial killers, people that are going after people are going after people who might not have somebody checking on them, which is just so sad where it's like, well, nobody's even going to care about this person if I'm gone. I'm not saying that. I'm saying that's that's the thinking behind it. Nobody's going to look after it so I can keep doing what I want to do. Once again, though, Puente was popular with social workers for taking in these problematic cases who were really hard to place otherwise. No one at social services looked into whether Puente and the boarding house were even on the up and up. I have serious questions about this entire arrangement. So my main one is that Dorothea Puente was not a young person. Right. She was she was elderly even at the time that she was running this. And so it does kind of surprise me that she wasn't checked up on more, especially knowing that this elderly woman has some people that are staying in her boarding house that might have just various various problems. I mean, it does kind of strike me as odd that she was able to just fly under the radar and do this and that nobody really came and checked up on how she herself was doing with this whole situation. Yes and no, because think if there's like a real need and you have somebody willing to take in this population that other people don't want to take in, they're probably just like, okay, great. That one's taken care of. I got to work on something else. Like social services in general are so overwhelmed with stuff. It's not too crazy to think that maybe they're just like, okay, you've got that. We're on to this. And and that's just how it is. Either way, it's really sad. And that's how she was able to get away with it because she knew this. That's why she's taking them in. She knows nobody's going to really look into it. They're just happy that somebody's taking care of them. Super sad all the way around, of course. So somehow she actually fooled at least 15 probation officers over these years who didn't catch on to the fact that she was running this boarding house. They're here checking on her and she's saying, well, you know, this is actually friends I have over. They're just staying with me for a while or family or whatever. So these probation officers who do need to check on what's going on there, she's lying to. And she's a little old lady who's really not going to believe this little old lady. It's a really a perfect, terrible plan, really. Right. Neighbors and tenants complained of horrible odors coming from the boarding house. People nearby couldn't run their air conditioners even in Sacramento's 100-plus degree summer heat because of the foul air that the AC intake brought inside. I, oh, my gosh. <laughs> I can't. I cannot imagine the air outside being so bad that I cannot even run my AC. No, I just would plug garlic up my nose or something. I would have to do something. There's no way if my AC wasn't working here for five minutes, I'm such a baby. I would, I just couldn't deal with it. I mean, I guess you do what you have to do, but if your house is there, there's nothing you can do. You're, you're in so much trouble. What are you going to do? Sell a house? Somebody's going to come look at your house and be like, well, it smells terrible here. I'm never buying this house. Yeah. You're just screwed. So Puente actually claimed that the sewer was backed up or maybe that dead rats were rotting under the house's floorboards to explain away the smell. Yeah. Can we not do anything about the dead rats? Is that (laughs) that's just it? So by 1988, she'd actually killed at least seven tenants. She drugged them and either waited for them to die of overdoses or possibly smothered them with pillows while they were unconscious. All of the victims' remains had the prescription strength sleeping pill Dalmain in their systems. And we are going to get into more of what happened after one last break to hear a word from this week's sponsors. (music) 
During the summer, we spend a lot of time outside, sweating and swimming. I also use lots of styling products on my already color-treated hair. I need a clarifying shampoo for the pool as well as a conditioner specifically for color-treated hair. And don't forget the heat I put on my baby thin Precious Moments hair, but I'm also gonna need a thermal protecting shampoo and a volumizing shampoo just for good measure. That's really a lot, but what if I could have all those things in one personalized shampoo and conditioner? Thanks to Function of Beauty, I now can. Look around your local drugstore and you can see that most drugstore brands only address a single concern, like volumizing or strengthening, but with Function of Beauty, you can choose up to five different hair goals to add to your personalized formulation. With over 54 trillion combinations possible, Function of Beauty individually formulates every single bottle based on your hair type, hair goals, and your preferences. You select your color and fragrance for your bottles, or you can opt for dye-free and fragrance-free as well. Not only is the formulation personal to you, it even has your name printed on the bottle. As I mentioned earlier, I color my hair frequently and use lots of heat products and also have super thin hair. So when I took the hair profile quiz on the Function of Beauty website, I was able to address my concerns and was able to express a few things that I wanted to include in my products, which were things like thermal protection and color protection and even volumizing. I chose the Perfection scent with a burst of pear and apple, and I love the scent so much that I spend a really unhealthy amount of time asking people to smell my hair. Check out Function of Beauty, the internet's top-rated customized hair care brand with over 20,000 five-star customer reviews and counting. Listeners will receive 20% off their first order. To redeem, head to functionofbeauty.com murder and take the hair profile quiz. Go to functionofbeauty.com murder to get 20% off your custom formula. Life comes at you fast, but when you're looking for counseling, minutes can feel like hours and hours can feel like days. You want help quickly, but how will you be able to fit it into your schedule? Our problems rarely arise during normal work hours, so why is counseling mainly available during normal business hours? BetterHelp Online Counseling is there for you. Is there something that interferes with your happiness or maybe something that's preventing you from achieving your goals? BetterHelp has you covered and at times that are convenient for you. BetterHelp offers licensed professional counselors who are specialized in issues such as depression, anxiety, relationships, trauma, grief, and more. You can connect with your professional counselor in a safe and private online environment. You can schedule secure video or phone sessions, plus chat and text with your therapist without ever having to leave the house. BetterHelp is secure, convenient, and professional. If you ever find you want to change counselors, you can do so at any time with no additional charge. Financial aid is also available to those who qualify. Best of all, it is truly an affordable option, and Moms and Murder listeners get 10% off your first month. Simply fill out a questionnaire to help them assess your needs and get matched with a counselor you'll love within 24 hours. Go to betterhelp.com moms and use discount code moms for 10% off your first month. Again, for 10% off your first month, go to betterhelp.com moms and use discount code moms. And now back to the episode. So before the break, we were talking still about Dorothea Puente and how she had really been on this killing spree, killing these tenants that were living in a boarding house that she really wasn't even supposed to be running in the first place. She had drugged these people. She possibly had suffocated a few of them. And she had killed up to seven of her tenants by 1988. She was finally caught when a tenacious social worker named Judy Moyes couldn't find her client, Bert Montoya. Montoya was developmentally disabled and suffered from mental illness. It's suspected that Puente enlisted his help in moving victims to the yard and burying them. Moyes came back to the house several times and got different stories from Puente about where Montoya was each time, including that he had gone off to Mexico or that he had moved in with relatives in Utah. 
Moyes ended up filing a missing persons report when she could not locate Montoya, and she started to suspect that Puente was lying about his whereabouts. Because of her small stature, Puente claimed that she couldn't have moved bodies to the yard and buried them. There's absolutely no way a little old woman could do that. That was her whole argument. But she was known to hire convicts to dig holes in her yard where she claimed that she was burying trash. One tenant who survived her boarding house said that she had him dig a very large, very deep hole, allegedly so that she could plant a tree. Police came to the house at 1426 F Street and they were tipped off by one of the tenants. The tenant had been coerced into lying to confirm Puente's story, but he was able to hand over a note that said, quote, she's making me lie. The police returned a few days later with shovels and with Puente's permission, they began to dig in her yard. This woman even offered up her own shovel to the officers so that they would have an extra shovel. I guess they didn't have enough. And she said, here, I'll give you a shovel. Oh, wow. And you can dig in my yard. So then when the police, you know, have spent quite a bit of time digging, I think I had read somewhere that it was about 45 minutes that they had dug in the yard. And then they unearthed a human bone. And Dorothea Puente was just standing there acting like she had no idea how that got there. And... She said to the police, I don't know what to tell you. Well, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) This whole thing, it amazes me. This poor tenant. Imagine how terrified they are to know, like, people keep coming here all the time, right? Probation officers are coming. The social workers are coming. And no one's picking up on this. So you have this one poor tenant who's like, clearly, nobody's really believing what's going on, right? Nobody's really paying attention to what's going on. So Imagine like knowing nobody's really going to believe this little old lady is killing people and putting them in the yard and you're probably next and you're having to give a note to a police officer when she doesn't see because what if she does see and they don't believe her? Now you're next. You know, I I can't imagine the stress you're under. So I don't know. It just seems like that would be such a huge deal and so terrifying to be the one to tell on her because if they don't believe her, you have to live there. That's where you live. That's where they've put you to live. She's, you know, she's your housing person or whatever. I don't know. It just gave me a lot of anxiety even reading that part and thinking of this poor person. Yeah, for sure. So in total, six victims were found in the backyard, and then they found one victim in the front yard. The victims' names were Dorothy Miller, Leona Carpenter, Ben Fink, James Gallup, Betty Mae Palmer, Vera Faye Martin, and Alvaro Burt Montoya. The people that were found in her yard and their social workers had trusted Dorothea to provide them with a roof over their heads and at least two good meals each day. Puente was also implicated in the deaths of Ruth Monroe, her former business partner that we mentioned before, as well as Everson Gilmouth or Gil. Puente managed to slip out of the house while the police were there, claiming that she wanted to go get a cup of coffee. (laughs) What? (laughs) So did she claim she just wanted to go inside and get a cup of coffee? Is that the whole thing? She was like, you guys keep working. I'm going to get coffee. Or was she like, I'm going to a coffee house? I don't know, because after they found human bones, it's... It's hard to imagine that they would have been like, yeah, sure. Yeah. Just give us your address. Be back here, you know, 615. 615 on the daughter. We start to worry. (laughs) It's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. So she did not go get coffee. She actually went into kind of a seedy bar and then managed to get to Stockton and catch a bus to Los Angeles. So now she's on the run. Wow. While she was in L.A., she met a man at a bar and tried to talk him into letting her move in with him. He declined, but he did take her shopping. 
Later that night, he turned on the TV and recognized Puente on the news. And he called the news station, and then the police were able to eventually track her down and apprehended her at a hotel. Hold on, that whole statement is crazy. You meet her, you meet somebody, you say, can I move in with you? They say no, and you're like, great, take me shopping? (laughs) How does that even work out? I couldn't get somebody to buy me a Diet Coke if my life depended on it when I was younger and far more attractive than I am now. And so... (laughs) So how's this little old lady got so much game? That's crazy. Well, maybe, I don't know. Maybe he felt bad, thought she needed groceries or, or something. Clothes? She needs clothes? <laughs> Come on now. Come on, Dorothy. Puente was charged with murder in 1989, but it took until 1993 for her case to go to trial. Her trial was moved to Monterey because of the insane amount of publicity that it was getting in Sacramento. Her defense team claimed she did not murder the victims, but buried them in the yard after they had just simply died of natural causes. According to her attorneys, she was scared to call the paramedics because her boarding house was illegal and she was violating her parole and didn't want to go back to prison. So she's admitting that she knows what everything if if her story is even true she's still admitting that it was not the right thing to do but but that's a really good defense to say nobody died but she was or she didn't kill anybody but she was so worried because she wasn't doing everything on the up and up so obviously she couldn't call the police because they would have arrested her for this other thing she wouldn't get into so much trouble for obviously murder you're gonna get in a lot more trouble but you know right. the, what a good defense i was very impressed by that yeah yeah She was eventually convicted of the murders of three victims, although she was initially charged with nine, and she was sentenced to life without parole in 1993. She maintained her innocence until her death in prison in March of 2011. Puente was diagnosed with schizophrenia and antisocial personality disorder at different points and was really a well-documented liar. In her interview with Martin Kaz for Sacktown Magazine in 2009, she claimed to have been a professional golfer on the LPGA Tour and a Rockette at the same time as being this golfer, as well as being a personal friend of Ronald Reagan. When she was in prison in 2004, she actually wrote a cookbook called Cooking with a Serial Killer, Recipes from Dorothea Puente. And you can actually buy this book on Amazon. You can. I don't know if you should, because I found a three-star review that read from Amanda from March of 2015, enjoyed this book a lot, but expected more from it. I'm so sorry Amanda was so disappointed. Every review I read was kind of like that. Like, I really thought her recipes would be less basic. I'm like, you know she was writing a cookbook from prison. In prison. Yeah, she doesn't it. have a lot to work with. Yeah. There. But they <laughs> just like they were just not a, not very happy with her, you know, basic recipes. That just killed me. Like, what what exactly were you going for here? Today, the house at 1426 F Street is owned by Tom and Barbara Holmes, and it is a designated historical site that cannot be demolished. The Holmes participated in a short documentary called The House is Innocent in 2015, and they have really maintained a macabre sense of humor about the house and even hosted an art show there in 2018. We actually had a helper that helped us research and write this case. Her name is Laura, and she'll be working with us here on the show now, but she actually lives in Sacramento, and so she went by the house, and she sent me a bunch of pictures today, and I have to send those to you still, Melissa. I just got them right before we started recording, but it is insane. I cannot wait to post a few of these on social media. If you're in our Facebook group, I'll probably post them in there. It's crazy to see the house now. And it's, they have like, all I can say is that there are superhero mannequins everywhere. I don't really understand. There's like a Superman suspended from the 
roof of the porch. It's crazy. So I cannot wait to share those. If you follow us on social media, you'll see I'll post some of those when this episode is released on Tuesday. Do they live there? Like actively live there? That's their primary home? Yeah. Oh, no, thank you. Yeah. No, thank you at all. And I don't think... I wouldn't want to. No, but it's interesting that it's a historical site and can't be condemned because what was the... I mean, this was a little bit different, but remember in Ohio, the Ariel Castro, the kidnappings and stuff? I want to say that after everybody was taken out of that and they've, you know, the police have gone through that house that they tore it down. So it's kind of surprising to me. It was kind of interesting to me that they actually kept the house up and it turned into a historical site. So that's interesting, Sacramento. Yeah. This whole story was really interesting. There was quite a bit going on in this story, just with the elderly lady like running all this stuff. I don't know why that just blows my mind. I mean, I guess it doesn't matter how old you are. If you have murderous intentions, you can still do them. But yeah, I don't know why. It was just interesting to me. We don't hear a lot about elderly people that are actively killing, you know, that are actively murdering people. Like usually, even if, you know, killers get caught and they're older, they usually committed most of their crimes like earlier in life when they were young and full of life. And yeah, it's just strange to me to think of an elderly woman committing murders like this. But it does seem if you hear about an older female that has killed several people, it's typically like a black widow situation where it's a spouse that they're killing over and over and over again, but not really like somebody you don't have a real relationship with or just somebody you're taking in and it's totally... I don't know. It, it is pretty bizarre and not one that we've we've not covered anything like this before. It was so upsetting for the families and, and for these poor people. Just I, I have a real hard time when people go after people who are down on their luck and, you know, are depending on somebody else and maybe can't take care of themselves to go after that kind of person. It's extra sick yeah. to me. It's super upsetting. It really is. So that was our episode for the week. Thank you so much for your help, Laura. Before we do the last and before we go, we wanted to just quickly remind everyone that we are taking part in a meetup. So it's our second, it's the second annual Southern True Crime Podcaster meetup. Last year we did it in Atlanta. This year it's going to be in Charleston. When I say we, I just mean Melissa. I will not be there. We said that on the like think the last episode too. Yeah, I won't be there. So Melissa will be, and she will hug you on my behalf. You're selling this so poorly. (laughs) You're selling this so poorly. I'm just really sad that I'm not going to be there, and it's just hard for me to talk about it with enthusiasm because I'm so jealous. Stop FOMOing. So I will sell it for you. So it's going to be, I will be there, and then you have trace evidence. Oh, gosh, why am I doing the list again? Not going to do the list. Forget it. There's going to be lots of people. We'll have the information in the show notes. There's actually an evite that you can click on and say you're going. We're not going to hold you to it, but it's nice to kind of have an idea to tell the place exactly how many people are going, or at least an idea so we know. Anyway, that will be in the show notes. Look for it. That'll be where you find it. Next week, we will do our hero segment We will have that on next week's show. And I'm super excited because I've got to show you, Mandy, a couple of them. And one of them, we have to pick it. I'm sorry. We just have to pick it. You'll know what it is. As soon as I send it to you, you'll be like, okay, Melissa, perfect. They're all so good. It's really the worst situation we've ever put ourselves in to have to pick people. So anyway, now we're going to do our last thing before we go. And we asked our Facebook group today if you have named a child or an animal. But I think we just really picked animals this week. They have an interesting name. What is the name and how did you pick it? And we got some really funny answers. So we thought we would read some of those. Awesome. Mandy, you want to kick us off? 
Sure. So the first one is from Chad B. And he is a he's actually the husband of a friend I've known on the internet for a very long time. And he's a very funny guy and also has a podcast coming out soon. You guys should just stalk him in our Facebook group and find that. Um, so <laughs> it's called the Perfect Package Podcast. Yes. Yeah. And it is not out yet, but I have actually heard a sneak peek of it. And um very excited for him. He's been talking about doing a podcast forever, and I'm so happy that he can just stop talking about it and start doing it. I'm just supporting <laughs> okay. you with positivity, Chad, just so you know. <laughs> okay. So he said they have a cat that showed up on their doorstep when his wife was homesick with the Nora virus, and they named the cat Nora. Aww. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's hard for me to love that because I have a niece named Nora. So do you. So it's kind of so I I, I don't want to think of Nora as being a, a virus. No. I mean, one of my kids you know, could be called but, a virus. <laughs> my son could be a virus. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. But that is a clever name for a cat that showed up in the middle of what I assume was basically hell raining down on earth because that sounds miserable. Yeah, for sure. The next one is from Catherine J. And she says, we have cats named Bacon and Bean and Boo Moo. And Bacon was originally named Biscuit because they thought it was a girl. And when the vet told us that it was a boy, the vet actually said, Bacon, everyone likes Bacon and everyone likes this cat. So they named it Bacon. But then Bean was also named Biscuit until the same vet told me that she was a girl and not a boy. So they just got bamboozled <laughs> by this vet over and over and over again, changing their names. I just love that. Monica F. said, I named a cat Repeat because she looked identical to the cat we had that passed away shortly before we got her. I love that, though. That's so sweet. I do love that. That is really, really, really sweet. Next up, we have Suzanne, and she said, My cat is Finnegan Tutola, and he was named after a Law & Order SVU. The detective. That's great. The next one is from Tamika P., and she said that she is a technology nut, so she named two of her kittens Hulu and Roku. I use those a lot, too. Both of the – not the kittens, yeah. <laughs> but I definitely use those things. Melody S. in our Facebook group, and I think she's going to be in Alabama, which by the time you hear this, we've already gone to Alabama and done our live show, and it went great, guys. It went really, really well. So um, <laughs> that's me putting it out in the universe. <laughs> she said, I had a fluffy cat named Lieutenant Dan because when he sat down, you couldn't see his legs due to all the fluff, and he also oh. enjoyed ice cream. I thought that was cute. Amanda B. said, our Basset Hound's real name is the Colonel of Camp Lejeune. They are a military veteran family. And one night, he was itching his face on the carpet next to their bed and let out a loud mooing sound. On top of that, he used to eat like a little pig. So now his nickname is Moo Pig, or what she calls him is she actually has made up a little song about uh, for him with this nickname is Piggly Pop. <laughs> I love how names can like transfer, you know, like – longer you know it starts out big and then it gets smaller and changes all together no my daughter's name went from her name to like then we called her little girl when i was pregnant and then lg like it just took so many different different paths to get to her nicknames yeah i know well i have as you know i have uh my dog piper who is deaf so it doesn't really matter what we call her so we call her a lot of stuff but her name has evolved like so many times into so many different things and like it started out as as piper of course and then my son started calling her pip and now we call her pipper and we call her pepper and i call her dodo in the most loving way possible but she has like so many different names and like none of them are piper anymore we don't no one calls her that 
I think just my kids call your dog Piper. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and to close it out, we are going to do our friend Nikki P. And she said, see if you get the reference. My cat's name is Beasley, but we call her garbage because that's what she eats. And that's a total office thing. And I love it. Good job, Nikki. Good job, Nikki. Stop acting like you either like the office or hate it. You can't have it both ways, Mandy. <laughs> you can't have it both ways. Last time you told me you liked it and you fell asleep to it. I so do, I don't like, want to hear it. I do. I do. But I haven't watched it in a long time. So... Okay, get out of here. Just stop. <laughs> I can't deal with your negativity. <laughs> and our Patreon episode this month, we had voted by our patrons. We are going to do the story of Phil Hartman. So check that out at patreon.com slash moms and murder podcast. All right. So we will be back next week, back to weekly episodes until I think Thanksgiving. So we will see you guys next week. Thank you so much for listening and coming back. All right, guys. We'll see ya. Bye. Bye. Thanks so much for listening to the Moms and Murder podcast. Make sure to check back with us next week for a new episode. You can also find us at momsandmurder.com where you can connect with us via social media. Please make sure you subscribe and give us five stars because giving us four stars would be a crime. Thanks so much.